The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. So good morning PCC and welcome to anyone that is visiting with us today. Um, my name is Leila Halawa and I have the privilege of bringing us God's word today. Um, I would like to let you know that at the end of this message, we're going to do a quick Q&A, a bit of a reflection time. So as you're listening to this message, uh, if you've got any questions or anything that you want to just mention at the end, jump online and we're going to have a quick session right at the end of the message. But um, look, I had hoped that today, uh, I think we all had hoped that today we would be face to face. Um, it's a bit different for me, there's a few faces in here, so it's making it a little bit easier. But unfortunately, we've had another COVID curveball and so we're back to restrictions and so here we are, uh, back to our live stream. But as it is still the second week of January, let me say Happy New Year to everyone. Um, look, I don't know about you, but for me, January is generally a time of reflection. I generally tend to look back on the year that was and start to kind of look forward to, to what's coming. And as I thought back on the year, I think it's safe to say that uh, last year just didn't turn out the way that I thought it would. I'm pretty sure everyone would be thinking that as well. Um, the world as we knew it just drastically changed. And we all had to shift really quickly to what we thought was a temporary shift, but what turned out to be not so temporary after all. And so we all went into this form of lockdown and different changes. And for some of us, that was great. But for some of us, that actually caused uh, a bit more hardship and a few more issues. And so I thought back on the year, I found myself kind of asking, um, Lord, is anything going to be the same ever again? Is the world as we know it going to be restored back to what it was? Are we going to have restoration? What is it going to look like? Is anything going to go back to normal? And as I reflected on that, um, I felt God put the message on my heart about restoration. And so today what I want to share on is restoration. I'm actually going to share on restoration from the lens of Peter, um, which I pray will be an encouragement to everyone this year. And so let me pray, and then we're just going to jump straight in after that. Uh, Father God, Lord, we just thank you. We thank you, Lord, because you are sovereign, you are gracious, and you are kind. And no matter what is happening in the world, Lord, you are still firmly in control. Uh, you are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so, Father, we just invite you in today. Lord, I just pray that you would be with every person listening in the room, on the live stream, uh, and that, Lord, that you would speak into our hearts. Holy Spirit, we just pray that you give us ease to hear. Um, and, Father, as always, I pray that I don't get in the way. So we give you this time, Lord, and we just ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if you have your Bible with you, open up to the book of John, and we're going to go into John 21. And I'm going to read two sections of scripture in John 21, and we're going to start with the verses 1 to 8, and then we're going to jump over to verses 15 to 19. Um, I'm reading out of the NIV. There's going to be some big chunks of scripture, so just stay with me. <laughs> um, and we can make the scripture available on the website later if people would like that as well. But if you're, you're at John 21, 1 to 8, we'll jump straight in. And the word says this. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. 
As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. And so we're going to stop there, and we're now going to jump over to verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you got old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. There is so much we can take out of this scripture. Like it is just a full scripture. Uh, these, these passages are, are just incredible. But what I want to do first is I want to take a few steps back and I want to look at what actually got Peter to this place in the first place. How did Peter actually get here? Now, personally, I love Peter because he's just so relatable and he is so human. Um, you know, we can look at the heroes in the Bible and go, oh, they're just incredible, but they're human like us. They're fallible like us. And no one is as human as Peter for me. Like he just is the one that messes up and I just have a connection to it. Um, and like many of us, he's actually had a really interesting journey with Jesus. And he's had some incredible highs on his walk with Christ and he's had some incredible lows as well. You look at, Jesus, uh, at Peter and he very much encountered Jesus at the beginning of his ministry and spent the entire ministry time with Jesus. He walked so closely with him. He saw firsthand all the miracles. Um, he got to walk on water. He was part of that inner circle with Jesus where he got to see more than what other people did as well. And from what we see, Peter is a bit of a confident man. But when he's with Jesus, he's a bit more passionate, a bit more confident, starts to get a little bit arrogant, a little bit boastful and prideful. Um, and I think a few of us, I know I can relate to that. But he's that guy that's like, I'm just going to do everything, I'm gung-ho. And then when the moment of truth comes, his knees start to shake and all of a sudden he's backed out. You know, but how many of us have actually done that? How many of us are confident and we ride this wave, like we have this moment with God and we ride this wave, we're like, no matter what, I'm going to stand for my faith. I'm going to defend what I believe, you know, I'll stand up against everything. But when the time comes, we get overcome by fear. And then we do the one thing that we said we wouldn't do, and we back down. And for Peter, it was denying that he knew Jesus. In Luke 22, um, Jesus is telling the disciples that, you know, his time is coming to a close. And this really interesting conversation breaks out amongst the disciples about who's the greatest one. But in the middle of that, you see this really interesting exchange between Jesus and Peter. And um, in Luke 22, verse 31, Jesus goes to, to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. And so what we see is that Jesus is actually alluding to Peter's fall. And Peter's there going, no, nah, not going to happen. No matter what, I'm all in. Lord, I'm with you. I'll face any persecution that there is. I'll even die for you. I'm, I'm all in. And he's just so adamant that he's not going to shake. And not only does Jesus refute that, he actually tells him very specifically how it's going to happen. And we actually see it play out when we go to Luke in verse 54 to 62. 
And so Luke uh, 22, verses 54, 62 reads, Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter, looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Everything Jesus had said to Peter happened in the way that he said it was going to happen. So quick side reminder, nothing is a surprise for God. <laughs> May surprise us, not a surprise for God. But it's easy to look at Peter here and go, wow, you walked on water, you were with Jesus, you saw everything. And in that moment, your faith failed you and you backed out. But again, how often do we do that? How often do we say, I will speak up no matter what, no matter what persecution is going to come my way, no matter what society is saying to us right now, I'm going to speak up for my faith. And then we find ourselves in situations or in conversations and we choose to stay silent. When it comes down to it, we're not that different to Peter. We're just living in a different era. And if we're honest, we've all had those moments where we've, we've backed away or we've gone a little bit shy or quiet. And I'm the first to admit, as much as I hate it, that I've been in conversations where I had wished that my boldness was actually there. But instead of being as bold as I thought I was, I ended up staying quiet. And I will say that fear will make us do some interesting things. And so Peter does the one thing that he said he wouldn't do. He denies Jesus. And he's left with this, this feeling of guilt and shame and sorrow. The Bible says that he wept bitterly. But I want to highlight something in this passage that can be easily missed. And it's something that actually really pierced my heart when I read it as well. Towards the end of the passage, in verse 61, just as Peter is denying Jesus, we read, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the words, the word the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today, you would disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Can you imagine the pain Peter would have felt in that moment? That right as he was denying Jesus, Jesus turns around and looks him dead in the eye. The one person he said he would never deny, he would die for, is there to witness him denying. And we, we read, he wept bitterly. In his worst moment, Jesus was there looking at him, watching him. There was nowhere to hide for Peter. His heart, his posture, his fears, his actions, everything was on full display and Jesus was right there to see it. And you can just imagine the heartache. And I know for me, I will say that I have done many stupid things in my life. Um, unfortunately, I don't really learn my mistakes that easily and I, I continue to do stupid things in my life. Um, I've made some decisions and I've acted in ways that I know have grieved God's heart. And the moment I'm convicted of my actions and I realise that I've actually sinned against God, I find myself, like Peter, weeping bitterly. And what, what we notice about Peter, though, is that in that moment when he was weeping bitterly, when he, when he sinned against God, when he turned his back on Jesus, not only did he deny him, he actually physically turned his back on him because you read in the scripture that Peter went outside and wept bitterly. 
So in that moment, instead of looking at Jesus and staying with him, he chose to walk away and deal with his sin and his shame on his own. My question for us is this. When we mess up, which we all do, when, when we, we stumble, when we fall, when we sin against God, do we run to our Father or do we run from him? Which direction do we go? Because we see that Peter, he ran away. He went outside and he dealt with it on his own. There's, there's a, a quote that says, religion says, I've messed up, my dad is going to kill me. The gospel says, I've messed up, I need to call my dad. We run to our father. We don't run from him. Um, I'm going to say, I got so excited when I knew we were singing Run to the Father because it's actually part of <laughs> what I'm talking about. Um, and what I've got in here is that I, w- I actually wanted to pull out the lyrics of the song Run to the Father because I actually think that they are a beautiful, a beautiful guide of how to actually live. I run to the Father. I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon. My soul needs a friend. So I run to the Father again and again and again and again. In our worst moments, we run to our Father. We don't run from him. We don't go outside and weep bitterly alone. We go outside and we just fall into, we go to Jesus, we fall into his grace. We fall into his arms. And we don't hide what we've done. We bring it to him because he knows it anyway. (laughs) Jesus told Peter exactly what was going to happen. But we run to him. We fall into his arms. We let him bring restoration, healing and forgiveness because he's the only one that can. And the thing is that when we run from him, it only delays our healing and our restoration. Because when we sin against God, we need to be restored back to right standing with him. And when we run from him, it just delays that. And we actually see that with Peter in John 21. Because now we're going to go back to our original verse. And here we find Peter sitting with some of the disciples and they're sitting by the water. And this is after Jesus has been resurrected. And I'll point out that they've actually seen Jesus since then as well. But they're sitting by the water and Peter, Peter goes, I want to go fishing. And everyone goes, okay, we'll go with you. Instead of waiting on the Lord, he went back to his old life. And a lot of times when we, when we mess up, when we, we stumble, when we fall, we go back to what's easier because it's what we know. We go back to what's familiar. Instead of sitting there and waiting for God, it seems like he's getting further and further away from him. He's going to go back to his old life. He jumps in the boat and he goes fishing all night. And one thing I'll say is that in those moments, um, in those moments when we, we, we mess up, when we sin, when we fall, when we do all of that, the enemy's voice is never as loud as what it is then. And the accusations and the statements are basically coming through on a megaphone. You're a hypocrite. I can't believe you did that. You call yourself a Christian and you did that. Jesus is never going to forgive you. God would never forgive you. How could you do that? Well, you've sinned anyway and you haven't died. What's the problem? You've already gone this far from God. Why bother going back? The enemy's greatest tactic is to isolate us and pull us as far away from God as possible. And when, we, when we're in those moments, when we're doing the thing that we said we'd never do, is when his voice gets loud and he tries to pull us away even further. And we see here, Peter went back to his old life. And I think, and this is just purely my perspective, that one, it was easier for him, but two, I think that his shame and his guilt over his denial actually just made it a lot harder for him to, to actually go back to Jesus. And so he goes back to what he does, but here's where we see God's graciousness and God's kindness, because God loves us too much to leave us where we are. 
And so God went and met him exactly where he was. And what we see is that Jesus was waiting for them on the shore. Um, and when he gets there, no one actually recognizes that he's him. It's a bit like us. We don't always recognize God in certain situations. And so he helps them catch a whole lot of fish, and they're like, oh, that's Jesus. Um, but this is where you see the shift in Peter again. We, we see his posture start to change here. Because we read in John 21, 7, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. And so this time Peter recognizes Jesus, and he didn't turn around. He dived into the water. This time he was desperate to get to Jesus. The posture had changed now for Peter. He wasn't running away. He was so desperate to get to Jesus, the boat was too slow. So he jumped in and he swam over. And he gets there and he finds that Jesus has set up a fire and is ready to have breakfast with him. Can you imagine Peter standing there? His heart would have been racing like mad, not knowing what Jesus would say to him, but so desperate to get to him. And they sit down, they have a meal with, with Jesus. And then after they've eaten, Jesus turns around and he asks Peter a question that I'm pretty sure Peter didn't anticipate. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? So I was going to say that for me, if that was me, I would have expected to be reprimanded. <laughs> I would have expected, uh, how could you do that to me? Like, what, what gives? Like, you said you're never going to dis- like, never deny me and you did it three times. I would have expected a, you know, if that ever happens again, or you bet, I would have expected something. That's the world we live in and that's what we expect. But instead of doing that, God's nature just was demonstrated there and God just lovingly said to him, do you love me? He didn't, God's not a God that turns around and goes, I can't believe you did that. He's not a God that goes, see, I told you. It happened like I told you, Pete. That's not who God is. That is not God's nature. God's nature is not one of condemnation and guilt. It is a gentle, loving nature that constantly pulls us towards him. He's constantly got his arms outstretched. He's constantly inviting us back in. And we see this really beautiful exchange between Peter and Jesus. In, that starts in John 21. And it reads like this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus asked Peter three times if he loves him. And we see that the third time, there's just a grief in Peter. He just feels grieved that Jesus had to ask him three times. Um, as I was re- researching this passage, a lot of commentaries state that Peter would have seen the significance between the three questions and the three denials. You know, it would have been, oh, well, you denied me three times and someone asked the question three times. For us, it can be really easy to look at this and go, well, Jesus is just being annoying or trying to get back at Peter by going, you denied me three times, so I'm going to ask you three times. But that's actually not what's happening at all. When you read this in the original text, uh, when we go back to, to the original text, Jesus uses two different words for love. The first two times that Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? He, asks, he uses the word agapas, so agape love. Do you agape love me? And that is a sacrificial, unconditional, pure, unselfish love. That's the love of God. And so he says to him, do you agape love me? Um, but both times, Peter responds using the word filio. Filio is a brotherly affection, a, a, you know, a, a brotherly love. It's a reciprocal love, and a friendly affection. 
So both times Jesus goes, do you agape me? And Jesus goes, I feel you. I have a brotherly affection for you. And so the third time Jesus switches it around and he actually asks him, do you feel me? And this is when Peter goes, Lord, you know everything. And you know that I feel you. You know that I love you with a brotherly affection. And there's so much to pull out of this. Um, so, so much to pull out of this, this, this interaction. But there's four things I actually want to really focus on and take away for us. Um, and the first one is this. Peter didn't understand agape love. It wasn't until the Holy Spirit came on them. It wasn't until they encountered the Holy Spirit and they had the revelation of God's love. They had the revelation of just how much God loved them, how unselfish his love was, how pure his love was. He sent his son. After the Holy Spirit is when he actually understood agape love and is when he was actually able to love with agape love as well. And you start to see it in his writings after that too, that he started to use the word agape after that. And so for us, we've got to remember that without the Holy Spirit bringing revelation, it's just reading. <laughs> it's just all head knowledge. We're reading the Bible. We can read every devotional there is. We can read every commentary there is. Without the Holy Spirit guiding us and leading us, we're not going to get the revelation of God's heart and God's character. And so we need the Holy Spirit. And we need to make sure that when we're you know, spending time in the Word or in worship, we're actually inviting the Holy Spirit to open our eyes, to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that Jesus came down to Peter's level and met him where he was. Peter couldn't love Jesus with an agape love. He couldn't love him that way. But Jesus didn't hold that against him. Instead, he took Peter as he was. He took him where he was. He, Peter, was only able to love with a brotherly affection. But we see that as the Holy Spirit starts to work in him, that that started to change and he started to love with that agape love. And he started to become sacrificial in his love, unselfish. And he goes on to be martyred for it as well at the very end. And so we've got to remember that God doesn't need us to have it all together. God's not asking us to love him perfectly. He's asking us to love him with, his whole, with our whole heart. We don't need to love God perfectly. We can't. <laughs> God is the only one that can do that. God loves us and he'll accept us as we are. But he loves us too much to leave us where we are, which we see in Peter's journey. So the Holy Spirit starts to work in us and starts to shift us. But we don't need to try and love God perfectly. We just need to give him our whole heart and let him do the work. It's the Holy Spirit that perfects our faith. It's the Holy Spirit that enables us to love the way Jesus did. Trying to love in our own strengths, trying to love in our own humanity is not even going to come close. And so we need the Holy Spirit to work in us, but we've got to remember to not try and be perfect in how we love God either. The third thing is that this is where Peter's restoration actually happened. And his restoration started with his desperation for Jesus. Peter's desperation for Jesus was a catalyst to his restoration. He didn't know what Jesus would say to him when he got to the shore, but he was so desperate to get to him that he just threw himself in the water and he swam to him. Not for what he can provide or do, he just wanted to get to Jesus. Our restoration starts with our desperation for God. It's not about what God can do for us. It's not about healing. It's not about provision. It's not about any of that. Our desperation needs to be for him, for God, for his presence. When we are desperate for God, that's when we encounter him fully. That's when we just feel the full weight of his love and his grace and his mercy. We need to be desperate for him, not for what he can provide. And when that happens, that's when restoration starts for us. And it's going to look different for everyone, but our restoration starts with our desperation for God. And what we see in Peter is that you're never too far gone 
for God to restore you. No one is ever too far gone for God to restore them. God's been restoring lowly and the broken and the messed up and the hurting for a very, very long time. It is all throughout his word. Look at the woman with the issue of blood in the book of Mark. 12 years this lady had an issue of blood and was deemed under the Levitical law unclean, which meant that no one could touch her. So if you think quarantine and lockdown was bad, imagine being quarantined for 12 years and not having anyone touch you because they would be unclean. But not just that, the Levitical law stated that anything she touched was unclean. So someone couldn't sit on the same chair as her after without cleaning it. So she would have lived a very isolated life. And the law and society said that she was unclean, she was unworthy, she should not be out in public at all. But she heard about Jesus and she was desperate for him. And so what does she do? She actually breaks every law that there is. And she goes out into the public, but she just goes, if I can just touch him, not even him, just his garment, if I can just touch his garment, that will be enough for me. Because I know, I know his power, that will be enough for me. And the thing to remember is that when she touched him, she made him unclean as well. But what does Jesus do in this moment when he finds out that a woman who's been unclean for 12 years has touched him? When you read the story in Mark 5.35, it says, He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. No one is ever too unclean for God. No one is ever too far gone for God. No one's beyond redemption. But it needs to start with our desperation for him. We've got to want him above everything else. And that's where it starts. And the fourth thing I want to put out and the last thing is this is where Jesus reinstates Peter into his leadership. And so a lot of times we will mess up. If you haven't done it yet, heads up, you're going to do it at some point. We all do it. We mess up and we rule ourselves out of the calling God's put on our life. Or we rule ourselves out of doing anything for the kingdom. Uh, we're all called to be disciples, by the way. doesn't matter which side of the platform you stand on. We're all called to be disciples. But we mess up and we rule ourselves out of it. And we go, well, I can't do... I've messed up, I can't do what God wants me to do or what God's asked me to do. But what we see here is that Jesus reinstates him and he affirms the, perp- the, he affirms the calling that God has purposed for his life and he publicly reinstates him into the leadership role. He didn't hold Peter's past against him, he didn't hold his mistakes against him. He didn't even caution him not to do it again. He actually just showed this unwavering belief and love for Peter and he affirmed him, and he, he foretold of Peter's future faith and that he would be martyred. And from there, Peter goes on to be one of the, the greats. He, he led 3,000 to Jesus on the day of Pentecost. The guy who minutes prior was denying Jesus leads 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost. And so we've got to remember that God restores and God redeems, but we can't rule ourselves out. If you're anything like me, you mess up multiple times. And I'm not even kidding when I say this. Every time I get asked to, to, to get up and to speak, I'm like, this is the greatest privilege. What were you thinking, Lord? I don't understand. You know the thoughts that run through my head. You, 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 know, you know who I am, Lord. Why would you use me? But he has been using broken and messed up people for a very long time. And he uses us as his vessels. We are the vessel for his kingdom. And I will also like to say that our mistakes are not big enough to thwart God's plans. I had to break it to all of us, but we're just not that big. (laughs) This is the God who created heaven and earth. And our mistakes, our mess-ups are not going to change the ending because we already know (laughs) Jesus wins. We're all good. 
it's not going to change. We're not that big. And so for us to go, I've messed up, God can never use me again, it's just, it's not right. And so when we do things, allow God to restore us and allow God to reinstate us. And if he's called you to it, he's going to equip you for it. He's not going to send you anywhere without equipping you to do it. And so don't rule yourselves out and don't rule other people out on their past mistakes either. Because God's the one that restores and redeems and he's the only one that's got a right to determine who's going to do what in his kingdom. So we've got to be careful not to rule anyone, ourselves or anyone else, out on their life and so I want to I want to wrap up for us with this and and here is what I'd like to close with I don't know what restoration looks like for you restoration looks different for everyone um, and maybe you're in a space where things are great and if that is you that that is awesome but what I know from talking to many people is that 2020 stripped away a lot of things for us um, jobs finances health issues became rampant, relationships were broken. Um, it brought things to the surface that we maybe didn't think were there. Fears, addictions, um, old wounds and scars that had turned into open gaping holes that we'd never dealt with. And it also stripped away the veneer that we all have sometimes uh, and revealed what's really underneath. And for some of us, it, it wasn't necessarily pretty when that happened. And we found ourselves questioning everything we knew and questioning life as we knew it. Um, and what I will say is that if that was you, you're in very good company. Because last year was a year where there, there were moments when um, I just found myself questioning everything, but especially myself and my love for Jesus. And um, there were moments during last year when... Uh, when life turned into Groundhog Day, basically, and every day became the same. And the mundane was all that I could see. And this boredom had settled. And it took me a while to realise that it was a boredom with God <laughs> because there was no awe and wonder anymore. There was no desperation for him. And that's what he came down to. I'd lost my desperation for my first love. And no amount of reading devotionals or Bible or worship or anything shifted until I had the revelation that I had lost my desperation for my first love. And it was a journey of just throwing myself back at his feet and just being desperate for him and for his presence. And so restoration may be a, a physical, tangible thing for you, or like me, you may be in need of a heart restoration. But what I will say is that our restoration is, can only start with a desperation for God. Put aside everything he can do for you. It's not about what he can do. It's not about what he can provide. It's not about what he can heal. It's about him and being in his presence. He is all that matters. And when we are desperate for him, we encounter him in such a full and abundant way. And he changes our heart and he changes everything with it. And after that, no matter what happens, no COVID lockdowns, no local crisis, no personal crisis, nothing will rattle us or shake us because we have the love of Jesus with us. So let me pray. Father, we, um, Lord, we thank you that you are a good, good Father. We thank you, Lord, that we can run to you no matter what and your arms are always open and you are gracious and you are kind. And we thank you that you are the God of restoration and healing. We thank you, Lord, that you always offer your restoration to us. And so, Father, I just pray for all of us today. Lord, you know the needs in our heart. 
Father, you know what's really happening underneath the surface. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would minister. And where restoration is needed, Lord, would you bring restoration? But Father, above all that, would you put a desperation for you in our hearts? Lord, would you change our hearts and put just a desire just to be desperate for you and for your presence and for your love? And so, Lord, we thank you again for your great love. We thank you for your sacrifice of Jesus for us. And Father, and we just willingly put our, ourselves into your hands. We love you, Lord. We trust you. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.